Chapters 41 to 46 of Book 9 of History of Animals by Aristotle. Translated by Darcy Wentworth Thompson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. 41. Of wasps, there are two kinds. Of these kinds, one is wild and scarce, lives on the mountains, engenders grubs, not underground, but on oak trees, is larger, longer, and blacker than the other kind, is invariably speckled and furnished with a sting, and is remarkably courageous. The pain from its sting is more severe than that caused by the others, for the instrument that causes the pain is larger in proportion to its own larger size. These wild wasps live over into a second year, and in winter time, when oaks have been in course of felling, they may be seen coming out and flying away. They lie concealed during the winter, and live in the interior of logs of wood. Some of them are mother wasps, and some are workers, as with the tamer kind. But it is by observation of the tame wasps that one may learn the varied characteristics of the mothers and the workers. For in the case of the tame wasps also there are two kinds. One consists of leaders, who are called mothers, and the other of workers. The leaders are far larger and milder tempered than the others. The workers do not live over into a second year, but all die when winter comes on. And this can be proved, for at the commencement of winter the workers become drowsy, and about the time of the winter solstice they are never seen at all. The leaders, the so-called mothers, are seen all through the winter, and live in holes underground, for men, when ploughing or digging in winter, have often come upon mother wasps, but never upon workers. The mode of reproduction of wasps is as follows. At the approach of summer, when the leaders have found a sheltered spot, they take to moulding their combs, and construct the so-called sphecons, little nests containing four cells, or thereabouts, and in these are produced working wasps, but not mothers. When these are grown up, then they construct other larger combs upon the first, and then again in like manner others, so that by the close of autumn there are numerous large combs, in which the leader, the so-called mother, engenders no longer working wasps, but mothers. These develop high up in the nest as large grubs, in cells that occur in groups of four or rather more, pretty much in the same way as we have seen the grubs of the king bees to be produced in their cells. After the birth of the working grubs, in the cells, the leaders do nothing, and the workers have to supply them with nourishment. And this is inferred from the fact that the leaders of the working wasps no longer fly out at this time, but rest quietly indoors. Whether the leaders of last year, after engendering, new leaders are killed by the new brood, and whether this occurs invariably, or whether they can live for a longer time, has not been ascertained by actual observation. Neither can we speak with certainty, as from observation, as to the age attained by the mother wasp, or by the wild wasps, or as to any other similar phenomenon.
the mother wasp is broad and heavy, fatter and larger than the ordinary wasp, and from its weight not very strong on the wing. These wasps cannot fly far, and for this reason they always rest inside the nest, building and managing its indoor arrangements. The so-called mother wasps are found in most of the nests. It is a matter of doubt whether or no they are provided with stings. In all probability, like the king bees, they have stings, but never protrude them for offence. Of the ordinary wasps, some are destitute of stings, like the drone bees, and some are provided with them. Those unprovided therewith are smaller and less spirited and never fight, while the others are big and courageous, and these latter, by some, are called males, and the stingless, females. At the approach of winter, many of the wasps that have stings appear to lose them, but we have never met an eyewitness of this phenomenon. Wasps are more abundant in times of drought and in wild localities. They live underground. Their combs they mold out of chips and earth, each comb from a single origin, like a kind of root. They feed on certain flowers and fruits, but for the most part on animal food. Some of the tame wasps have been observed when sexually united, but it was not determined whether both or neither had stings, or whether one had a sting and the other had not. Wild wasps have been seen under similar circumstances when one was seen to have a sting, but the case of the other was left undetermined. The wasp grub does not appear to come into existence by parturition, for at the outset the grub is too big to be the offspring of a wasp. If you take a wasp by the feet and let him buzz with vibration of his wings, wasps that have no stings will fly towards it, and wasps that have stings will not. From which fact it is inferred by some that one set are males and the other females. In holes in the ground in winter time, wasps are found, some with stings and some without. Some build cells, small and few in number, others build many and large ones. The so-called mothers are caught at the change of season, mostly on elm trees, while gathering a substance sticky and gum-like. A large number of mother wasps are found when, in the previous year, wasps have been numerous and the weather rainy. They are captured in precipitous places or in vertical clefts in the ground, and they all appear to be furnished with stings. 42. So much for the habits of wasps. Anthrenae do not subsist by culling from flowers as bees do, but for the most part on animal food. For this reason they hover about dung, for they chase the large flies, and after catching them lop off their heads and fly away with the rest of the carcasses. They are furthermore fond of sweet fruits. Such is their food. They have also kings or leaders like bees and wasps, and their leaders are larger in proportion to themselves than are wasp kings to wasps or bee kings to bees. The anthrena king, like the wasp king, lives indoors. Anthrenae build their nests underground, 
scraping out the soil like ants, for neither anthronae nor wasps go off in swarms as bees do, but successive layers of young anthronae keep to the same habitat and go on enlarging their nest by scraping out more and more of soil. The nest accordingly attains a great size. In fact, from a particularly prosperous nest have been removed three and even four baskets full of combs. They do not, like bees, store up food, but pass the winter in a torpid condition. The greater part of them die in the winter, but it is uncertain whether that can be said of them all. In the hives of bees several kings are found, and they lead off detachments in swarms, but in the anthrona's nest only one king is found. When individual anthronae have strayed from their nest, they cluster on a tree and construct combs, as may be often seen above ground, and in this nest they produce a king. When the king is full grown, he leads them away and settles them along with himself in a hive or nest. With regard to their sexual unions, and the method of their reproduction, nothing is known from actual observation. Among bees, both the drones and the kings are stingless, and so are certain wasps, as has been said. But anthronae appear to be all furnished with stings, though, by the way, it would well be worth while to carry out investigation as to whether the anthrona king has a sting or not. 43. Humble bees produce their young under a stone, right on the ground, in a couple of cells or little more. In these cells is found an attempt at honey of a poor description. The tenthrodon is like the anthrena, but speckled and about as broad as a bee. Being epicures as to their food, they fly one at a time into kitchens, and onto slices of fish and the like dainties. The tenthrodon brings forth like the wasp underground, and is very prolific. Its nest is much bigger and longer than that of the wasp. So much for the methods of working and the habits of life of the bee, the wasp, and all the other similar insects. 44. As regards the disposition or temper of animals, as has been previously observed, one may detect great differences in respect to courage and timidity, as also even among wild animals, in regard to tameness and wildness. The lion, while he is eating, is most ferocious, but when he is not hungry and has had a good meal, he is quite gentle. He is totally devoid of suspicion or nervous fear, is fond of romping with animals that have been reared along with him and to whom he is accustomed, and manifests great affection towards them. In the chase, as long as he is in view, he makes no attempt to run and shows no fear. But even if he be compelled by the multitude of the hunters to retreat, he withdraws deliberately, step by step, every now and then turning his head to regard his pursuers. If, however, he reach wooded cover, then he runs at full speed, until he comes to open ground, when he resumes his leisurely retreat. When in the open he is forced by the number of the hunters to run while in full view, 
he does run at the top of his speed, but without leaping and bounding. This running of his is evenly and continuously kept up like the running of a dog, but when he is in pursuit of his prey and is close behind, he makes a sudden pounce upon it. The two statements made regarding him are quite true. The one, that he is especially afraid of fire, as Homer pictures him in the line, and glowing torches which, though fierce, he dreads. And the other, that he keeps a steady eye upon the hunter who hits him and flings himself upon him. If a hunter hit him without hurting him, then, if with a bound he gets hold of him, he will do him no harm, not even with his claws, but after shaking him and giving him a fright will let him go again. They invade the cattle folds and attack human beings when they are grown old, and so, by reason of old age and the diseased condition of their teeth, are unable to pursue their wanted prey. They live to a good old age. The lion, who was captured when lame, had a number of his teeth broken, which fact was regarded by some as a proof of the longevity of lions, as he could hardly have been reduced to this condition except at an advanced age. There are two species of lions, the plump, curly-maned, and the long-bodied, straight-maned. The latter kind is courageous, and the former comparatively timid. Sometimes they run away with their tail between their legs, like a dog. A lion was once seen to be on the point of attacking a boar, but to run away when the boar stiffened his bristles in defense. It is susceptible of hurt from a wound in the flank, but on any other part of its frame will endure any number of blows, and its head is especially hard. Whenever it inflicts a wound either by its teeth or its claws, there flows from the wounded parts suppurating matter, quite yellow and not to be staunched by bandage or a sponge. The treatment for such a wound is the same as that for the bite of a dog. The thos, or civet, is fond of man's company. It does him no harm, and is not much afraid of him. But it is an enemy to the dog and the lion, and consequently is not found in the same habitat with them. The little ones are the best. Some say that there are two species of the animal, and some say three. There are probably not more than three, but, as is the case with certain of the fishes, birds, and quadrupeds, this animal changes in appearance with the change of season. His color in winter is not the same as it is in summer. In summer the animal is smooth-haired, in winter he is clothed in fur. 45. The bison is found in Paeonia on Mount Mesapium, which separates Paeonia from Mydica, and the Paeonians call it the Monopus. It is the size of a bull, but stouter in build and not long in the body. Its skin, stretched tight on a frame, would give sitting-room for seven people. In general it resembles the ox in appearance, except that it has a mane that reaches down to the point of the shoulder, as that of the horse reaches down to its withers. But the hair in its mane is softer than the hair in the horse's mane, and clings more closely. 
the color of the hair is brown-yellow. The mane reaches down to the eyes and is deep and thick. The color of the body is half-red, half-ashen-gray, like that of the so-called chestnut horse, but rougher. It has an undercoat of woolly hair. The animal is not found either very black or very red. It has the bellow of a bull. Its horns are crooked, turned inwards towards each other and useless for purposes of self-defense. They are a span broad, or a little more, and in volume each horn would hold about three pints of liquid. The black color of the horn is beautiful and bright. The tuft of hair on the forehead reaches down to the eyes, so that the animal sees objects on either flank better than objects right in front. It has no upper teeth, as is the case also with kine, and all other horned animals. Its legs are hairy, it is cloven-footed, and the tail, which resembles that of the ox, seems not big enough for the size of its body. It tosses up dust, and scoops out the ground with its hooves, like the bull. Its skin is impervious to blows. Owing to the savor of its flesh, it is sought for in the chase. When it is wounded, it runs away, and stops only when thoroughly exhausted. It defends itself against an assailant by kicking and projecting its excrement to a distance of eight yards. This device it can easily adopt over and over again, and the excrement is so pungent that the hair of hunting dogs is burnt off by it. It is only when the animal is disturbed or alarmed that the dung has this property. When the animal is undisturbed it has no blistering effect. So much for the shape and habits of the animal. When the season comes for parturition, the mothers give birth to their young in troops upon the mountains. Before dropping their young, they scatter their dung in all directions, making a kind of circular rampart around them for the animal has the faculty of ejecting excrement in most extraordinary quantities. 46. Of all wild animals the most easily tamed and the gentlest is the elephant. It can be taught a number of tricks, the drift and meaning of which it understands, as, for instance, it can be taught to kneel in presence of the king. It is very sensitive and possessed of an intelligence superior to that of other animals. When the male has had sexual union with the female, and the female has conceived, the male has no further intercourse with her. Some say that the elephant lives for two hundred years, others for one hundred and twenty, that the female lives nearly as long as the male, that they reach their prime about the age of sixty, and that they are sensitive to inclement weather and frost. The elephant is found by the banks of rivers, but he is not a river animal. He can make his way through water as long as the tip of his trunk can be above the surface, for he blows with his trunk and breathes through it. The animal is a poor swimmer owing to the heavy weight of his body. End of chapter 46